Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook with Brent, Matthew, and Joshua. This is episode 25, and the topic is the best recession strategies for your retirement account, uh, which we'll get to those in a minute. I heard you guys had played golf recently. Uh, how did that go? Well, Brent, it was incredible. You know, I haven't been outside in a while. I haven't really done anything that fun, but to get out there on the golf course with a mask on, social distancing, the nice summer air, it was glorious. How are they taking uh, social distancing measures at the courses? Uh, so there's a lot of rules they have in place. You have to wear a mask when you play, which is kind of weird. But then after a while, you realize you look cool on the course wearing the mask. You don't pick up your friend's clubs anymore. You know how you used to help your friend out and pick their clubs up? You just leave them on the course. Because it never hurt to pick up anybody else's clubs. Exactly. You can't touch the flag um, stick anymore. The pen. And then, the pen, exactly. And then you can't go in the clubhouse. Which is probably like obviously a, 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 the best way for them to keep any type of spread. I hear, uh, I don't know if you had said this, but the golf carts. Um, oh, that's right. The golf carts. That's the best part. You know what's awful is playing golf with uh, someone in your cart. You know it's great is being by yourself playing it because you just get to go right to your ball. You don't have to find your partner's ball. Did you guys find yourself playing faster that way? Slower. Oh. It was a little slower. And I, I think it was just nice to be outside so we were enjoying the camaraderie of it. But when you walked up, I mean, they had, you know, country club workers wiping down all of the carts as you're getting there, sanitizing them spaced apart for you to you know put your your stuff in your car so uh their system seemed pretty good would you agree matt uh, as far as keeping it safe um and uh and getting out there absolutely it seemed incredible and i would actually like to at least play twice a month for the rest of summer maybe even more once a week would be ideal because it was, it was so much fun it was a nice safe activity like i never felt like i was going to get the virus i mean geez, you're probably more, more susceptible to get the virus at the grocery store I agree. You are outside on the golf course playing golf by yourself. You know, I, I remember hearing stories over the last like five to 10 years that like usage of golf courses was just going down a lot. I have to imagine that this kind of gives it a resurgence right now. As soon as we finished, that's what I thought. I'm like, man, golf is about to boom. We should look at some golf socks like Callaway or something. Yeah, we, we were talking about it while we were on the course. Like this is what golf might have needed. I mean, we were looking at tee times – uh, like for the next weekend, everything in the morning was already booked. I know LA is still not open up and it's mostly San Bernardino County and Riverside County, but this is exactly what uh, golf might have needed. Because I can't think of anything else right now that's sort of like exercise and sports that's open right now. No, I, I can't no. think of anything. Other than a Peloton bike, right? Yeah. So I guess if you're listening and you play golf, if you haven't started getting out there, I guess one of their recommendations is get out there and get some fresh air and go play. Uh, one of the things, uh, talking and staying on sports, did you guys watch the Michael Jordan documentary up to this point yet? I'm not all the way caught up, so don't, don't spoil it for me. No spoil alerts on this podcast. You yeah. just ruined my RPA recommends, man. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, you know, it, it is just so fascinating to watch like somebody who's just so dynamic and who's just so into his craft, uh, I just wonder, I don't know really what the backstory is. Do you know what the backstory is, Matt or Josh? Like how they came up with or why they took so long to release it? I think that he had the footage, like uh, somehow he had the rights to like all of the footage. And it wasn't until I think 2016 when LeBron won that championship that he said, I'm ready to release this now. 
And I don't know if it was more of a competition thing. I know he talks about him being so competitive, but, you know, the world kind of thinking that LeBron is, you know, one of the best maybe motivated him. But in what I, what I read is during that parade is when he called the producers or whatever and said, I'm ready to release this footage was during that 2016 championship parade for LeBron. Yeah, I think one of the most captivating things about the whole documentary to this point is just listening to him talk and talk about recapping what some of those conversations that he had or some of those games were. It's amazing to me, like athletes just have this memory of so many specifics of every game. I mean, they play how many games and they just remember the fine detail of each game. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. How do you guys think that people are going to really take summer vacations i mean are you planning on taking a vacation like how are you how are you going to take a vacation here there's not a lot of flights going out you're not going many places how are you going to kind of decompress this summer um i haven't thought that far man for me personally i I just i don't see travel as being worth it i mean maybe maybe we're out here in southern california so maybe a trip to the beach trip to palm springs but right now when i drive out from la to my parents house or my wife's parents house it feels like a vacation so yeah, and uh, I, we haven't really discussed too many future plans. One thing that's coming up for me is my one-year wedding anniversary. So we both kind of agreed that it's not going to be a, really a long-distance vacation or somewhere right. that we're getting on a plane for. So, you know, I guess it's more about trying to think of some creative ideas for future vacations, but nothing really set or nothing really that we've uh, talked about that uh, we've planned. Yeah, I think people are at the point where they want something to look forward to and schools are just about, you know, getting close to wrapping up. You want to put some vacations on the calendar for the summer, but it just seems impossible to plan too far ahead. I mean, I feel like you can only plan a week or two at a time right now. Just nobody knows what's going to go on in the future. So it just seems like it's impossible. I mean, you know, getting on a flight and going to a hotel right now just seems nearly like it's not going to happen, obviously. Right. Quick other question. Would you actually uh, trust the vaccine that would be potentially coming out uh, or would you just wait to herd immunity happens? Because I feel like, you know, if they get a vaccine and then by that time it's going to take enough time and there's enough people that have gotten COVID and gotten through it. Like if enough people get vaccine and you kind of still stay safe and enough people have gotten it, then you kind of get to that herd immunity spot. Like now, obviously I'm not a doctor or scientist. I, agree. I don't know that to be factually true, but would there be reservations on taking a vaccine? I know you guys aren't big flu shot guys. I don't think I'd take it, to be honest. Not a lot of upside. Yeah, I feel like you get to the herd immunity stage, right? Yeah, and also everyone's talking about a vaccine. Don't really know if there's going to be one. Like, I think that's kind of wishful thinking. Most likely the virus will just die out with time. I think, though, being young and, and depending on your health situation, like, what would be the rush if, we're, if you're young and, and healthy? I wouldn't be in a a huge rush to be the first one to try a vaccine. You know, it's kind of like uh, waiting to for the iPhone, the new iPhone to fix its glitches before you buy it. Like I'm not in a a rush to go do that. So I I would definitely be on the side of waiting. It's a good point. Yeah. I get my flu shot every year. Um, It's something that I I really need to do, but you know, once this comes out, it does give me much reservation. You know, I, I, my kids are vaccinated. But just sticking a, a, a vaccine into my kids or myself, that's just so new. I mean, that just gives me a, a mass amount of reservation. But again, we can only plan so far. Uh, let's move on to some hot takes uh, in the news right now. 
and staying on COVID, should the U.S. start to ease social distancing requirements, Matt? Hot takes. This sounds like a new segment. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think the U.S. needs to really start easing up the social distancing requirements right now, especially in, in some of those states where there's not a lot of cases. If you look, the biggest, I guess, statistic that people need to start looking at is percent of positive tests. And that's been rapidly declining in the U.S. since April. And in certain states, it's extremely low, 1% to 2%. And we're at a point where the longer you hold the economy stays closed, the more long-term damage you're going to do. You're going to end up impacting more people from, from a poor economy than you are from actually getting the virus. Yeah, and I feel like the country is very divided on their feelings about this. I mean, you're starting to see protests that are becoming more dense. Um, you're having more of a political divide for whatever reason this has become so political now almost. It's either there's all these people are like, no, we need to stay in longer. Let's follow the science. Let's, let's take care of our health. And then all these other people that are like, get this economy back going and get it back fast. It, it seems like we're very divided. Yeah. I mean, I say, let those people do it though, right? Like I'm personally, if they open the economy, not going to go out to a restaurant and die. To me, it's not worth the risk. To someone else, though, it might be. I'm not going to go to a gym. That, did you see that New York Times article out the other day about places where coronavirus was spread the most? Yeah. Gym's like the highest one on there. I'll just work out in my house or go for a run. I don't need to go to a gym. But I think there's been enough time for us to, to actually be smart about the easing, right? There's just, we, we kind of see, like Matt said, there's the, the research now about where it spreads the fastest. There's just, you know, all of our precautionary measures, we're now comfortable with them, how-tos. So I think that with a lot of, you know, the time that's passed and starting to ease is going to be beneficial. Uh, and especially for a lot of these small businesses. I mean, even Mother's Day weekend, such a big weekend for small businesses. And, you know, look, they're, they're going to struggle. They, they wait for this weekend. Um, and who's to say now we don't have the tools and, and the knowledge to do curbside pickup for small businesses, you know, that are selling products or services or anything like that. So uh, I definitely on the side of we should definitely smartly start to ease, you know, the social distancing requirements. My feeling is that every business, business owner, CEO has had the last two and a half months to really start thinking about and planning about once they start reopening, how to do it safely and comfortably. So it's not like it's just being thrown on every business. Even us for our business, where we've thought of many ideas of what we need to implement to get our business back, get people back in the doors and just different ways that we could do it. I think there's been enough time that each business should take the right measures and they can open. You know, the, Michigan was very strict on the measures that they put, like they shut down like parts of their their, their stores where people couldn't go to. I mean, why don't you just limit the amount of people that go in the stores and leave all of that open? I, you know, I think just some people got so extreme. But right now, if companies are smart, America's smart, our country's smart, we have smart people running businesses. If we're just smart about it, if every company is smart about it, you know, most businesses should be able to open it in some capacity. Right. I agree. Yeah. And, and it, like I was even thinking about all the different suites in our building you know, if you're a company that can telecommute, you don't have to work in the office, let the people in your building who need to be there, let them work. If you can work at home, you work, the other businesses can stay home. You now you could almost spread it out very carefully, you know, and minimize actually how you are social distancing business in a sense. I, I think, you know, we are ready to get back to those things. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Another hot topic, oil traded negative a few weeks ago. It was the first time it's ever traded negative in our history. I'm curious to see what you guys would think about how this will actually impact people's everyday life. And you know, is buying oil a good investment? And this is a crazy story, huh? Like people are, are mystified. Like, how could it trade negative? And, you know, essentially what that means is if you're buying a commodity like oil, uh, you have to take delivery of it at the end of the month. So that means someone will come to your house and they'll literally drop a big old barrel of oil off, right? And there's no more storage for oil because there's, there's literally no demand for oil in the month of March and early April. So all the storage facilities were filled up, right? And so what that's essentially saying with the negative prices is it means that someone who owns the oil is willing to pay you to store it. So if you can figure out how to store it, they'll pay you. Right, because like literally this pandemic has wiped out what a third of global demand right now, mm-hmm. which you know, when all that demand stops and you're still pumping or you still have all that excess oil, literally there's nowhere for them to put it. Right. And then to answer your next question is buying a good investment because you see a lot of people, like some people who have that kind of investor mentality, they see something at negative or low prices and, and, and they think it's automatically, you know, a smart investment or a good buy. I want to buy this. It's negative. It has to go back up. I put oil or gasoline in my F-150. To me, that answer is no, unless like you're a commodities trader and you have experience trading oil, like what are you doing, man? You're picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. But that, that's a lot of who's buying. <laughs> you know, we're talking about Robinhood released the information that it's mostly retail clients that are buying, you know, the ETF that tracks the oil prices. What does that say? Like, you know, yeah. just because the price went low, it's a buy. I mean, what if, what if the fund just collapses? That's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're saying like, what's the worst that could happen? It'll eventually go up. Well, you know, if you're buying a exchange traded fund that's tracking the price, well, what if the fund's not there anymore? <laughs> what happens to your money? And my feeling is, is what happens if the demand for oil never comes back? I mean, what happens if demand is so low for so long that, you know, because nobody's driving, so many less people are driving. So our earth has become more healthy essentially during this time. And what happens really if we never really get that much more dependent on it again, where we become that much more energy efficient during this time. Could that demand, I mean, that demand could essentially never go back to where it was. Yeah. Or stay this low for a long time, which is even lower than when oil actually was first produced and sold, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you could see this trickling effect having a three, five, seven year process. And, you know, if companies advance and continue to advance in energy efficiency, we never may, de- may, may depend on the at these levels ever again. Right. Yeah, I, absolutely. So to your thought, oil may not be the best investment, I guess. I have to co-sign on that. Airbnb announced it laid off 25% of its workforce. Tell us a little bit about what's happening with Airbnb. I think it's absolutely fascinating. It's just, it's such a newer market over the last five years. What's happening with their company? Yeah, I, Josh and I went back and forth about this on the last podcast. But Airbnb is really, really struggling right now. Some areas are not allowing people to book Airbnb, some cities and, and local governments. So that mixed with the fact that people are staying at home, right, because they're social distancing is killing the hosts, right? So the people who rent out Airbnb properties to are called hosts. And a lot of those hosts, what they ended up doing is they did the rental real estate tactic, right? They took the cash flow property from one house and used that to buy another and then another. And before they knew it, they had portfolios, you know, 
five to 20 different Airbnb rentals that vacations are happening and rental season's good. They're making a ton of money. Well, now the rental season is not good and they're getting crushed, right? Because they got to make a mortgage payment on however many Airbnb homes they have. Um, so Airbnb, the company itself, though, is now hurting because they have zero revenue. And they just announced that they're laying off at least 25% of their workforce, which is truly sad because the company was planning an initial public offering for this year. And that's been delayed now. So all these employees who thought they were going to cash out their stock options now are not, and they don't have a job. It's probably one of the saddest stories that, that's coming out of this recession uh, that's not death. Yeah, that's that's got to be a major blow to employees who have been there since the beginning who had these stock options that they can't cash these in now. Yeah, really sad. I know that Airbnb set up a $250 million fund to compensate for lost revenue um, for the hosts, these, these people who have these houses um, that are the hosts. You know, they seem to be trying to do all the right things. I mean, the founder took a salary cut, uh, exec took pay cuts. They postponed their hiring. They, they seem to be taking the right measures. But it seems like they're just having to make some really tough choices on how do we get this side of, of the market going again. Although, as we sort of talked about, and Josh, you made an point too on the last podcast, I feel like Airbnb would be the preferred method of travel once everyone gets a little bit more comfortable, it, possibly in the next month or two, versus you know going to a hotel and being surrounded by a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah and having your own space. You know, you can have the, the right sanitation steps taken in, inside the home as a guest and for the, the host to take. And, you know, you're not in this facility with a bunch of recycled air with, you know, hundreds of other people like a hotel or, or something similar. So I think there's definitely opportunity for them. And you can see, you know, like you said, Brent, they're taking a lot of right steps. They're trying to raise funding to get them through this period. But, you know, definitely sad. Matt, I agree with you. Feel sad for the employees through this time because it's, you know, Never in a million years, I think, that they would have thought this, this would happen. Yeah, it, I, it's actually so sad and bad that I actually looked up where they have their main offices at because I figure real estate in those economies could be depressed, especially uh, San Francisco, mm. where it looks like the majority of their employees are housed. So it's awful. It sounds like the area of uh, rentals that will come back the soonest, though, are, are the rural properties. Like properties that have fresh air, maybe like in the mountains or you know spaced out areas, you're not in densely populated areas. It sounds like those are the areas that are going to be the most desirable. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. What I, I was reading today, CNBC wrote an article though that they're feeling the crunch even more because some of the short-term rental uh, hosts are collaborating to just launch their own service to connect to guests, and so. You know, it was something that I guess a lot of the hosts were collaborating for a while. A lot of the bigger hosts with multiple properties and stuff like that. But that's an interesting kind of story to keep track of. Of you know, is there even more opportunity that sees through this time now that Airbnb struggling? You know, are they going to be hurting somewhere else as well in the fact of losing hosts to a different platform? All I would say to those people is. Uh, Good luck, man, because Airbnb <laughs> is a perp, right? Like, it's like how Zoom is, right? Like, oh, we're going to jump on a Zoom or Google that. Let's grab the yeah. Airbnb for the weekend. Like, they have way too much brand equity. Uh, but yeah. I do wish those people great luck in that strategy. 
All right, let's go on to the retirement corner. It's one of my favorite corners of this show. Uh, what are some strategies people can do when their retirement accounts are down right now? Josh, maybe let's start with you on this one. Uh, what can people do right now? Um, I think just take advantage, like have the mindset of take advantage of, you know, what the market's giving you. So we, we talked about it on a couple previous podcasts too, but take advantage of investing maybe some cash that you have that's excess of your emergency fund. Um, take advantage um, and contribute even more into your retirement accounts and take advantage of the low stock prices and maybe even rebalance um, in your account to get more aggressive. So if you have that mindset of, you know, what opportunities can I take through this period? There's a lot of different strategies that are out there right now that, you know, are going to help you in the future if you do have that mindset to take advantage of what the market's given you. Tell the re- uh, listeners again what rebalance means. So rebalancing um, in a portfolio, to give you an example of the time right now, it, it can be done for a couple of different reasons. But right now the stock market's down, so your stock percentages might have changed. Um, and rebalancing, what it would be doing is selling one of the allocations. Let's take if you have a stock and bond portfolio, you'd be selling some of the bonds and purchasing more of stocks to getting back to whatever your target rate uh, allocation was originally. So um, best example that I, I like to use too, you buy a car, you drive it, and eventually it gets out of balance. You need to realign it. That's what rebalancing really is for a portfolio. Um, and it can help rate, with rates of return long-term if you continue to practice that strategy. Um, and with that rebalance too, you can get more aggressive than what your target original re- allocation was as well. So you know, take an example, if you had 40% stock, um, in a portfolio in um, 60% bonds. Now you can actually rebalance that portfolio to 60% stocks and 40% bonds with that transaction. So getting more aggressive in a time that stock prices are, are down, um, which could also help to lead to higher expected returns. You know, it's funny too, is because a lot of these conversations I've had with a lot of people and clients on, on rebalancing right now, they're almost of the opposite mindset. Like I don't want to buy any more stocks right now. But right now is actually the time if you are going to rebalance where things are a lot cheaper than they were three months ago or four months ago to actually be buying more stock. So it kind of takes you to make an emotional decision that may not seem sensible right now just because of where the market is and the uncertainty. But that's what really helps catapult you to better times. Yeah, 100%. That's human nature, man. I mean, nobody wants to buy that brand new golf driver when it's full price. But when it's on sale, people run to the golf store, buy that driver, right? Right. Same thing with stocks. Yeah. I always think of the time though, like, and, and I ask this question a lot to my clients, like, would, would you sell your house if it declined 30%? Like, and most people that I've asked that question to say no. And, and you know, why is it human nature that, to say, okay, well, the stock prices went down, but I'm going to now sell my stocks even though you wouldn't do it with an asset like your home. Why is that different? Stocks, for whatever reason, just make people do the opposite of what they normally do in life, which is kind of interesting. Another cool strategy to look at uh, for a certain segment of potential retirees is Roth conversions. And what I mean by that is, so if you're super high income, um, you got a couple million in your 401k, you know, you're making mid six figures, 250 or more, and you you most likely are going to end up with high retirement income through your RMDs. Could make sense now to do some Roth conversions. If you don't quite meet those metrics, most studies have shown that a Roth conversion really isn't going to help you. Your tax rate in retirement is going to be a lot lower, especially if you just have Social Security coming to you and maybe 
you know, a couple thousand a month coming out of your 401k IRA, then probably Roth conversion doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but if you're in that upper echelon, you're that high net worth clientele, a couple million dollars in retirement accounts, plus a high, high income in retirement coming to you, Roth conversion can make a lot of sense right now. Yeah. And I think one of the things which I, I, I have some pushback on that, I, I do think it does make sense for people even in lower tax brackets this year uh, to do either Roth conversions or just take money out. Like let's say you're over 72 and you have a requirement of distribution that was supposed to be done this year and you're not forced to take it. Yeah. You don't have to take, let's just say the 15,000 distribution, but if you know you're going to be in a lower tax bracket this year, than you're going to be next year. Why not take the five or 10,000 out that by choice and pay 15%, let's say in a tax bracket versus taking out next year when you could be in a 20% tax bracket because the income would be higher. And that could be true for people who are you know, just turning 60. They're not working right now. They expect to go back to work next year. Their income's going to be less this year. If you can get money out of your IRA right now, and it doesn't have to be by conversion. It could just be getting it out. If you get money out of your IRA at a lower tax rate right now, it may make sense to do it because you pay 15 cents on every dollar versus 20 cents on every dollar. That's a good point. Yeah. If you could look at bracket splitting and stuff, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, a strategy for people to implement that I've, I just, I've always felt very strong in a, in a time like something similar to we're in or stock prices are down is if you are contributing to a 401k plan, like my feeling is, is every contribution that you're making out of your paycheck, whether it's biweekly, weekly, or monthly, like all that money should really be put into stocks. Like why buy bonds right now? Who wants to buy bonds? Like why wouldn't you want to take advantage of prices when you're making ongoing contributions? I mean, your dollar cost averaging in stocks, you really want a dollar cost average into bonds right now? You can make the kind of guess that bonds could be even more risky than they've been going forward. So it, it, I guess it's hard to make an argument to, to buy bonds right now, in my opinion. But, you know, a lot of people in 401ks, though, have target date funds or, you know, or balance funds. And those are good tools. You know, a lot of times they are more heavily weighted to stocks if you're, you know, definitely younger and not reaching right to retirement. But uh, I agree that that's, you know, definitely look at where your allocations are going because stocks are, are the, the good idea right now. And let me make sure I, I clarify that specifically. I'm not talking about, for listeners, changing your allocations in your 401k to 100% stock. That, that, that's not smart. I'm talking about just the new money that you're adding in that that first gets put into stocks. Like, like all your new contribution money, there's a separate section when you're making your contributions that that money all goes to stocks. That should be all in the stocks, in my opinion, because you're buying things on sale. Maybe in your 401k plan, you can go change the rebalancing method in there to rebalance every six months or once a year or, or on a different timing because you're doing this. Uh, but all of those are some, you know, I believe, tactical strategies that can help take advantage of lower prices right now. That's a great strategy, Brandon. Think of that way. A good clarification because I was going to tell you, you know, well, hold on, pump the brakes. Some clients should think about their risk tolerance uh, if they rebalance all out of their bonds. But yeah, it makes sense. Send those contributions to stocks. Buy when they're on sale. Yeah. And would you agree, like, because now we have this extension of uh, not having to put it into traditional IRAs or Roth IRAs until July 15th, that if people are making their contributions to IRAs and they still haven't done it, that they should kind of take that same strategy, just dump that money in the majority of stocks for right now? Yeah, absolutely. It just depends though. I mean, it's, I mean, we're almost back to where we uh, kind of started falling at in February, right? right? I mean, yeah. the clients who, who got aggressive in March and April are really being rewarded right now. And the ones who, who, who didn't are, and you know, took the conservative approach and stood pat are 
you know, slowly moving back there as well. And I think looking at like for you and if you're married, you and your spouse, you haven't already looked for contributing last year and for this year now, just getting both contributions for both years out of the way and for both parties, if you are married, and then using that strategy that you talked about, Brent, for all stocks, and you're really maximizing, you know, that principle all in one shot. Um, instead of waiting till you know next year to get another contribution or anything like that. So just a good time where you can get even more money into those IRA accounts um, and take advantage of the low stock prices. I can't think of a better time for people to really be spending time doing full financial planning and and doing portfolio changes because right now people should possibly be rebuilding their portfolio. I mean, now is as good as any. If your portfolio's their allocations aren't right or you don't know if your portfolio is built for the, your timing with retirement or your financial plan, you want to hold things that are, you're going to hold for a long term. Like right now is a great time, in my opinion, to start rebuilding your portfolio so that it looks the way you want it to look in the long term. I couldn't agree more. I've been doing that on my personal portfolio. Um, I've been moving a lot of cash into stocks. I've rebuilt some of my common stock positions. And then uh, wife and I are looking for a house right now. So we're, we've definitely been working on our plan. We're taking advantage of, of what's happening in the economy and, and really using it to our advantage, which is what people should do instead of being complacent. Yeah. I mean, if you had a stock that you didn't want to own, you've just held it either for, because the tax ramifications of selling it or uh, just the stock isn't as, as good of a stock as you once when you purchased it. I mean, right now is a good time to consider it, right? Making the change. Yeah. Yeah. I have a client I'm doing that with right now. We've been diversifying out of, um, a stock that he's held for a very long time that he got stock options through, through his employer. And we've been diversifying it into a all stock portfolio to keep the growth and the risk level where it's at. And yeah, he's getting out of it with uh, zero taxes paid, which is really, really nice. And I think it's easier like right now too, to actually gauge how well your portfolio is performing. It's easier to see the difference of what you should kind of be making against what you are making in a down market than it is in an up market. Like when it's going up, you, the mindset is it's going up, everything's good. But in a down market, it gives kind of even more initiative to say, am I really doing a good job with this portfolio? And should I be making changes? Because it's going to show more in the down market than it is in the up market. In my opinion, I don't know how you guys feel, but just a really good time to, to look under the microscope um, right now, because you're going to see those flaws. They're going to show in, in a market like this. Any other strategies that are on the forefront of your mind? Not really for me. I mean, the one thing I'll just keep hammering my final strategy and Josh hit on it as well. Get aggressive when the market gets down, but just tattoo that on your body somewhere. You know, stock market down a lot, time to buy. Uh, Warren Buffett always says, buy America. That's the, you know, one of the greatest sayings in business or the stock market. I like that saying. Yeah, I mean, have your money in savings. Um, keep money in savings for your rainy day. Build your nine months rainy day fund. But if you have the ability to buy stocks, I mean, prices are low. Things are on sale. As we kind of round out the show and finish up, uh, right now is as good as any to do a RPA recommends. Uh, we have more time than ever. So, uh, Matthew, what do you have for RPA recommend? Uh, I was going to go with the last dance because I think that's probably one of the better things that's on TV right now. Right? It's just such a well done show. I love the back and forth, but I'm actually, I don't know if Josh has used this on a previous pod, but Josh told me to watch Bizarre on Netflix. Yeah, that's a great show. It's great. I, I didn't listen to him for a long time. I was like, nah, it's kind of boring. Like I didn't like the first episode and I ended up finally getting through that first episode 
gosh, what a great show that is. It's probably one of my top five favorite shows right now. So Ozark on Netflix. Josh, what do you have for us? Uh, you're welcome for the Ozark recommendation, Matt. You finally listened to me. It makes me happy. I'm smiling right now. <laughs> um, Ozark, great show. Uh, but my recommends today, since the quarantine, um, kind of a few weeks after it got started, uh, one thing that me and my wife like to do is take our dogs to like our local brewery um, to have a beer. And um, one of the local breweries that are um, here in Ranch Cucamonga built a drive-through to go pick up, you know, your favorite beer from them through this time. And we definitely wanted to go support them. Um, so they built a really cool drive through with the menu when you drive up and everything, everything's contactless. They'll even place it in your, uh, the beer when you buy it in your truck. So I just recommend supporting, you know, your local uh, brewery through this time as well. Um, if you do, if you are a beer drinker like I am. Yeah, absolutely. I love supporting all small businesses right now. Everybody needs the business. If you can afford to go support them. Uh, my RPA recommend is uh, Flav City, Bobby Parrish. Have you guys heard of him? Oh, Flav City. <laughs> um, I've never been a good cook my entire life. It's just not my strong point. I just don't have the patience for cooking. But Bobby Parrish is a, a, a guy that's on YouTube. He's on social media. He's on Instagram, Facebook. And he has taught me so much about like what ingredients to use, what not to use, how to create really healthy eating habits. And I've just like, in this quarantine, I've just fell in love with cooking and making food with my wife and kids. And it has completely rejuvenated. I think I, it's hard for me to look at a a cookbook and just like follow the instructions, like very daunting, but for whatever reason, like watching a four minute video on how to do something that's short and easy, I, it's just been completely helpful for me to, to make healthy and, and quality foods. I recommend everybody checking them out. Would you guys agree? Yeah, yeah. Um, Flav City, big, big fan of his too. He brings a lot of energy to um, his videos and, and his uh, Instagram posts. So you have to put the Flav City um, link in the show notes, Brent, so clients can check him out because he's good. Yeah, it's completely changed the way that I shop at the grocery store. I mean, when I go to the grocery store now, it's completely different, which changes your eating habits. I have ingredients that I've never even bought in my whole life. I had a I've had pans that I've never used for 10 years since we've been using <laughs> Is it surprising though, some of the stuff that like he tells you not to buy? Like yeah. there's, there's a lot more stuff he tells you to stay away from than actually purchase as far as from a health standpoint. Yeah. And I still find myself making mistakes at the store, but you know what? It's a, it's a learning process and you just get better at it. I remember when you used to bring those white bread turkey sandwiches to the office. And, and like, the, tra- <laughs> the transition's been incredible. This guy... This guy, Flip City, completely changed your life. He's, yeah. he's good. Check him out. Yeah, yeah, it's a good. It's a, it's been a great transition. It's been a benefit that's come out of this thing. So, well, thanks for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. If you'd like to learn more about us or read our show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide 
provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.